0: to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue our Bible study series on answering tough questions. Questions, and we've dealt with a lot of different tough questions. You know, can we trust the Bible? What about the supposed contradictions in the Bible? And how do we know the Bible we have is the real thing because it's been 2,000 years and surely there's a bunch of corruptions and mistakes and stuff in there. I mean, we dealt with all that kind of stuff. You know, how can a good God... Send a love, uh, how can a loving God send people to hell? Why do bad things happen to good people? Lots of different questions we've dealt with. If you missed any of those, you can listen to them online on our website. If you don't know how to get there, I can tell you. The question we're dealing with tonight is: Is slavery acceptable to God? Is slavery acceptable to God? If I took a poll, probably everybody would say no, it's not. But yet we see slavery talked about in the Bible, both Old Testament and. New Testament as if it's just a natural part of culture because it was a natural part of their culture. And we may not have as much trouble with that other than the fact that there is nowhere where we see Old Testament and New Testament where God himself or God through his people saying, don't do that. In fact, we see instructions for how to deal with slaves. It's like, what's wrong with this picture? Okay. And it is uh, among all the other um, tough questions we've been dealing with, one of the things that keeps some people from wanting to believe in the God of the Bible because how could I believe in a God of the Bible that sanctions slavery? Um, slavery has existed throughout most of human history and it's a very dark stain on our own nation's history. And what's even worse is that there were so many white Christians, I'm talking about in our nation, who justified slavery based on God's work. Now, it was a twisted understanding, a distorted understanding of God's word, but they did that. But we often think, I shouldn't say we, many people often think, well, that was an issue from a while ago. You may or may not be aware of this, but there are more slaves in the world today than there ever have been in the history of the world. In fact, some have gone so far as to say that there are more slaves in the world today than if you take the rest of history and add it all up. OK, um, not just like we would think of someone slaving and toiling in a field or or whatever, but um, uh, people who are forced to work against their will, people who are forced into marriage. They consider that a form of slavery. If you, you are forced to marry someone against your will, the sex slave, uh, sex Well, sex trade, okay, sexual trafficking. It was really interesting. um, Two weekends ago, I drove the van so the ladies could go to the Thrive Women's Conference. And the convention center there, I went into the bathroom, and there were several signs in the bathroom. I assume it was true for all the bathrooms, but the bathroom I went into, there were signs. And I've seen them before in other public places. It says, if you are being held against your will or being forced to work someplace against your will or trafficked in any way, Please contact us. And I think the idea and the information is there. I think the idea is that, you know, somebody's in one of those four situations that maybe they can slip away to the bathroom away from the people that have enslaved them or are forcing them into situations they don't want to be and maybe have the opportunity to try to contact someone. It's such a shame that that is a reality in our world. But the thing is, as I mentioned, we do find slavery mentioned in both the Old Testament and New Testament. It is spoken of... I'm not saying it's approved of, but it's spoken of as being a normal part of culture, and there is no outright, out-and-out overwhelming condemnation of that. Why is that? You know, before we jump into this, is slavery acceptable to God? And if not, then why do we see the talk of slavery in the Scripture that makes it sound like it's just almost normal? And I'm going to give you a lot of Stuff to go along with that, but does anybody want to throw anything out there about why you think that may be so, or maybe you studied it yourself, or, or whatever? Any thoughts? <laughs> That's true. And I'm going to stop you there, because you're doing too good of a job. <laughs> and we're going to dig into that. But that is a key point. We're going to get to that in a couple of minutes. That the slavery we experienced in our nation... And his experience and has experienced, been experienced throughout history and other places in the world is almost like a totally different thing than the slavery that is portrayed as being somewhat normal in Scripture. Okay? And that's why I stopped you. And, and what you said about Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave who ended up coming to Paul, became a Christian, and Paul sent him back to his master And that's what the book of Philemon, it's just a one-chapter New Testament book. It's a wonderful story of forgiveness, and we're going to end with that story because it really shares God's heart about people's personal freedom. So that's great, Lynn. Uh, I could have just let you go on. I could sit down, and you'd have the whole lesson prepared. But uh, any other different thoughts before we jump into the notes that I have to give to you? Yes, Debbie. That is a very good comparison that many people make is that the slavery of that time, uh, riding along with what Linz is like indentured servitude, where you are doing this work, but you are getting a benefit from it. Maybe not money or whatever. So we're going to dig into this, okay? So I've got a number of oh, – yes, Vita, go ahead. Uh, slavery means is that, to... mm-hmm. that is true. Slavery is a part of some cultures, but that doesn't necessarily make it right, and I know you're not saying that. But that's the point. See, that slavery was part of the culture of the Bible times. But it doesn't make it right. But why didn't they speak up more about it? So that's what we're going to jump in and take a look at. The first point on your note sheet is this. The Bible nowhere presents slavery as part of God's design or as morally approved. Yes, slavery is talked about as being part of the culture. Instructions are given about it. All that kind of stuff. But there is nowhere where God says, it's a good thing to have slaves. You know, or, you know, gives, uh, God doesn't establish it. God doesn't commend it. If you were here last week and you've got a good memory, not as good as, not as, anyway, I, Anyway, this was a point we used in our lesson last week because we talked about something similar last week. We talked about does God approve polygamy? Because polygamy is all through the Old Testament, not so much in the New Testament, and you know, no strong condemnations. And this was one of the points then too. That the Bible nowhere presents polygamy as part of God's design, okay, um, or is morally approved. And the same thing is true for slavery. God did not establish it. God did not commend it. God did not command it, okay. And that leads to the second point, and this also was one of the points last week about polygamy. Some things that God, quote, allowed were not part of his perfect plan. Polygamy, jumping back to last week because it's a good example if you were here. If you weren't, you can pick up on that. Polygamy, God allowed, but it was never part of his plan. His original perfect plan was a man and a woman, Mary, The intent, the perfect one was for life. It doesn't always work out that way. Okay. Um, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and we mentioned last week that another example is divorce. God allowed divorce, but it was never part of his perfect plan. Jesus even said that when the Pharisees were arguing with him and said, you know, tried to trip him up and said, you know, can a husband and wife get a divorce for any reason? And he says, um, you know, no, not really. And they said, well, why did Moses command them to do this? He says, Moses didn't command them. You know, from the beginning, the idea was a husband and wife being together all their life, God willing, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and God allowed it because of the hardness of your hearts. And so we kind of came to that conclusion about polygamy. And there's a little bit of that also in the area of slavery, although it's a little bit different. Okay. Now, we're going to kind of lump this all together but I just want to say from the very outset that there are some differences between Old Testament and New Testament and the slavery and the things that were said about it, but most of the principles are the same, so we're just going to lump it all together. But as we talk about it, you know, in the Old Testament, the main way in which God communicated to his people right and wrong and all that kind of stuff was when he gave the law through Moses, okay? And so that's where you would expect there to be talk about slavery, and there is but there's not a command that says don't have slaves. Okay. So slavery existed long before God gave um, the law through Moses to his people. We see that the law doesn't institute slavery, but it doesn't try to end it either. Instead, it regulates it. In other words, it says slavery exists. This is what you need to do about it. And that raises the question, why? Why didn't he just end it? If it's not good, why didn't he just end it? And we're going to get to that. Now, as far as the New Testament, of course, slavery existed long before the early church and the preaching of the gospel. And we got all kinds of teaching in the New Testament about a lot of different things. But same thing as the law. The New Testament teaching neither approves slavery nor speaks against it. But it does give some instructions about if you find yourself in that situation, if you are a slave or if you have slaves And again, the question is, why didn't God speak through Paul and just say, stop having slaves? Okay? Why? We're going to dig deeper to that in just a bit. But can I tell you that the main thing that we really want to point out, or one of the main things we want to point out here, is the fact that God hates oppression of any form. That's the point number three here. The Bible consistently condemns oppression of any sort. Oppression, injustice. You know, you don't have to read very far in your Bible, especially as you go through the prophets where God is speaking about the biggest... You know, it seems like... Well, not just seems like it is. The two biggest problems that God had with His people was that they chose to worship other gods or they mistreated each other. It's really interesting because... What does the Bible say is the most, two most important things we need to do? Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love other people like ourselves. And Jesus reiterated that. And those are the two biggest problems, because God's people would turn from Him and worship other gods, and they would mistreat each other. You know, there are so many prophets that would say, you wealthy, you know, you, you're mistreating the poor, you, you keep them under your thumb, you don't pay them their wages, you take stuff away from them, you know, all that kind of stuff. And God Hated that. He condemns oppression, and slavery is a form of oppression. Okay? Um, God clearly and overwhelmingly condemns people in power who use their power in cruel ways against others. Um, one of the sources I was using to study this said that um, uh, a guy had compiled over 60 different scriptures talking about God's hatred for. Oppression. I want to read just three of them. They're on your note sheet there. Exodus 22, verses 21 to 24, it says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. A sojourner is a foreigner. Somebody coming through or somebody's moved close to you. You know, not just your neighbor or your family member. It's, it's someone who's come from somewhere else. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. God's basically saying, you remember how you were treated? You don't want to treat people that way. Okay, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. And what's really sad is that that happened because of the sins of God's people. There are a number of times through history they experienced that. You know, From enemies that would come against them, God would allow them to punish them, to discipline them, to point them back to himself. They were taken into captivity, um, all that kind of stuff. Deuteronomy 24.14, God said, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he's one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who's in your land uh, or within your towns. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Now, the main thing that really helps us understand why is it that um, the Bible speaks of slavery as a cultural thing and doesn't have a lot to say about it at that time. Anyway, against it is this next point. And it's exactly what um, Lynn had said um, and several others made comments along those lines. Number four, slavery in the modern world, and by modern we're talking about the last 400 years, okay? Slavery in the modern world is very different from slavery in the time of the Bible very different. So as we think about the modern world the last 400 years the slavery that was in our culture what are some things that you can throw out that were characteristic of the slavery that we had here in the United States and it's true in other places too. Yes. It was forced. Yes, no choice. What else was consistent or what was characteristic of the slavery that was here? Race. It was race based. Yes. Oh, you said rapes. I thought you said race. <laughs> well, well, okay. Yes, people were terribly mistreated. Okay, and but what you what I thought you said was true too. It was race based. Okay, Vita, what were you going to say? Okay. Any other characteristics of the slavery that we saw in our country here, Carlton? A deliberately attempt to wipe out the history of the culture. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Let me give you what I have on here. Some of them are the same. Some of them are different. Uh, The first one is that slaves were forced into slavery by capture and sale. They were forced into slavery. And that is condemned in Scripture. Okay? There are some Scriptures that do condemn the capture, the sale, the trading in people for slavery. Okay, so there are some verses that are against slavery as we understand it. Uh, Exodus 21, 16, it says, Whoever steals a man, that includes a human, and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. You know, I don't know what um, the white Christian Christian slave owners during, you know, our history, how they dealt with that scripture you know, they use a lot of other scriptures to try to justify what they did. But that one says if you if you take someone and you or if you're just in possession, you need to be put to death. Deuteronomy 24.7 says something similar. It says, if a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So right there, God is saying that the buying and selling of people... The capturing for the purpose of selling of people is evil. That's about the clearest statement you'll get that slavery is wrong, okay? First um, Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, um, Paul's got this whole discussion going on about the law and the purpose of the law. And he says one of the purposes of the law is to convict us of what's wrong and all that kind of stuff. And in the context of that discussion, he says this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. In other words, if you're trying to do the right thing, the law's not a big deal because you're already doing it. But God gave the law to convict us of when we're doing the wrong thing. And then he starts making a list of not all the sins, because that would fill more than the Bible, but, you know, just uh, you know, as Paul likes to do, he makes a list of, of different types of sins. He says, so the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners... For the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, and slavers. And that word is literally for people who are involved in the slave trade. Okay? Liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So even though it's just a couple little verses, it's very clear that God thinks it evil to, again, capture, buy, sell, human beings for the purpose of slavery. The second thing here, as far as the modern world, the last 400 years, is slaves had no rights, protections, or freedoms. No rights, protections, and freedoms. That doesn't mean that there couldn't have been somebody who owned a slave that allowed them to do more than others or whatever. It's just saying, in general, slaves had no rights, protections, or freedoms. And the third one is the one that I thought John said, Slavery was a system built off of racial differences and prejudice. Slavery was a system built off of racial differences and prejudice. It's interesting that the clearest example of slavery in the Bible that's like modern-day slavery is when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. Okay? Because all these things were true. It was based on their race. They had no rights, protections, and freedoms, and they were forced into it. And we know how God felt about the slavery of his people. He hated it and he delivered them. Okay? All right. Now, we said that the ancient world was different. A couple things have already been mentioned. You know, how was slavery different in the ancient world? The first one is this. Slavery was almost never race-based. Almost never. There may be some isolated instances of it, but it wasn't race-based. All right? It wasn't a deliberate attempt to try to enslave a specific type of people, ethnicity, nationality, or whatever, okay? And the second thing is the big deal here, and it's been mentioned in a couple of different ways. Most people entered into slavery voluntarily to pay back a debt or to be taken care of during difficult times. Now, when we first hear this, like, wait a minute, why would I volunteer to be a slave, and I was thinking about that today, and I don't know if it was God or just my brain working good, but I came up with an illustration. This might be kind of hard to imagine, but imagine this to be true. Imagine that you have lost your job. I know some of you all retire, but you work harder than people that have jobs. But anyway, just imagine back when you had a job, okay? And you had a family. Imagine you lost your job, you went bankrupt, your house was foreclosed, your cars were repossessed, and you're homeless. And someone offers to take you and your family into their home and to provide you with shelter, clothing, and food if you'll work for them. And you're going to work hard, but you're going to work hard, but they're going to provide you shelter, clothing, and food. And at the end of a certain amount of time, they're going to let you go. And when you go, they're going to give you their blessing and they're going to give you a stake to start a new life. Do you think you might be tempted to take them up on that? Of course, that's what most, not all, but that's what most of the slavery in the Old Testament in particular was like. New Testament is a little bit different, okay? People, you know, when you talk about uh, a society where your prosperity and your day-to-day living and ongoing is based on your crops and your herds and you have a famine, your fields are wiped out, you know, or sickness goes through your herds and your, all your goats die, you know, or your sheep, no more curry goat, you know. <laughs> do they make curry sheep? I mean, I've had curry goat, curry duck, curry goose, curry chicken. <laughs> do they do curry lamb? It's called, curry curry. It's called what? Mutton curry. Mutton curry. I haven't had that one yet. Okay. All you guys in the Caribbean have fed me some great stuff. Yeah, except for the goat's head soup. Anyway... Yeah, I, I've had goat's head soup, and that's enough for one lifetime. So, all right. But anyway, where was I? I got myself totally and completely. Oh yeah, imagine yourself in a famine or a drought, or your crops die, your your, your flocks are gone, and where do you turn? You know, unless you've got a family member that can take you in or whatever. But there was this, there were things in society set up that it's like, okay, you can go work for somebody else who's not suffering right now. And you will be their servant. You will be their slave. They call them slaves. But it was voluntary. Okay? Um, and you were basically taken care of until you could get back on your feet. And then there were things in place to allow you to get back out and start over again. Okay? And that leads us to the next part of it. The third one is a slave was to be set free after a certain period of time. Okay? It wasn't forever and it wasn't against your will. In Deuteronomy 15, 12, it says, If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, and, and the word sell there is not mean that they've been captured, as against their will, but they're sold into slavery because they have volunteered, I'm going to work for you, so, I you know, everything we just described. If they're sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. Okay? Let him go free from you. Retirement. Huh? Retirement. Number Retirement. <laughs> Retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. When a slave was released, they were to be given supplies to start a new life. Pension. Pension. <laughs> yeah, but they're supposed to start a new life and get busy, not retire. All right. When a slave was released, they were to be given supplies to start a new life. Deuteronomy uh, 15, 13 to 15. We just read verse 12. It says, if they become a slave, he shall serve you six years, seven years. He shall we let go of you. Uh, the very next verse, it says, and when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish with him furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, which would be grains, okay? So you got your meat and bread, all right, and out of your wine press. Okay? As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give him. The idea being is you've taken somebody in that's poor, that's destitute, and you're going to help them. They're going to work hard for you, and so God's going to bless you for that, and so you're going to let them go. You're going to help them get a new start in life, and you're going to take some of the blessing God has given you for blessing them to help them get restarted. Okay? Huh? Severance package. Okay. Okay. And verse 15 says, and why do they do that? Verse 15, because you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. And here's a little hint of this in the way God redeemed his people and God delivered his people. When they left, what did the Egyptians do? They gave him a bunch of stuff. It's like, we're so glad to get rid of you, all these plagues and stuff. But they gave him gold and silver and stuff, you know, and it, I mean, what'd you say? That's how they plundered them. That's how they plundered them yes. All right, all right. number five. There were laws in place to protect slaves from harsh treatment. In other words, they couldn't be treated just any old way. Not like in slavery in our country. All right? Um, slavery, for the most part, wasn't essentially oppressive. Now... Guarantee you, there were some bad people that were involved in this and there were some that were oppressed, some that were mistreated because that's human nature. You got that today when you don't have slavery, if you're just an employee or whatever. I'm just saying that it didn't happen. But in general, slavery was not an oppressive, as oppressive of a thing, okay? Now, it was, certainly wasn't the optimal life you'd want. But um, Leviticus 25 verses 39 to 41 says, If your brother becomes poor beside you, and sells himself to you shall not make him serve as a slave he shall be as a hired worker and as a sojourner he shall serve you until the year of jubilee and he shall go out from you he and his children with him and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers in other words the goal is we're going to get them back on their feet all right um got a little bit from the new testament colossians chapter 4 verse 1 says masters Treat your bond servants. And it's interesting that the word used here is bond servant rather than slave. Some translations translate this word slave because it can be used that way. But a bond servant is actually a bit more, more accurate because a bond servant is somebody's like, okay, I'm working for you. I'm under your authority, whatever, but it's because I want to and because you, I'm going to benefit from it. Okay. So anyway, masters treat your bond servants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. That's almost like a, it's not really, but it's almost like a veiled threat. You know, just remember, uh, you may be a master over this guy, but you got a master and, you know, it's not said here, but you reap what you sow and how you treat, you're going to be treated. You know, just keep in mind, God's keeping tab, you know. Ephesians 6, 9 says something very much similar. And here's the thing that's really interesting, go back to the Old Testament. There are situations in which a person was treated so well as a slave that the master say, Okay, it's time for you to go free. Here's a little stuff you And he said, No, I don't want to. I would rather live the rest of my life the way I've been doing the way I have been, because this has worked well. Exodus twenty one, five and six says, If the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I'll not go out free then his master shall bring him to god and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall be his slave forever okay sort of like an earring i guess but anyway uh the si- just a second Carl. but but he, the, the situation that a slave could say you know what this has been a wonderful situation and um you know and, and it wouldn't be a thing of be, being lazy like well you're taking better care of me and i can take my they had to work hard but this has worked so well, I'd rather just stay in this situation than go out free. Yes, Carlton? The initiation of the earring. The initiation of the earring. Okay. All right. You do have to put a hole in the Hmm? the hole. You need an Oh, that's right. you got to have an earring to make sure the hole stays there. All right. Sounds like a very theologically deep uh, principle that you have to hand right into your notes. Okay. So a lot of that had to do with the Old Testament. There's some very similar things in the New Testament. Now, as I said, this was true of most slavery, but not all slavery. There were slaves that were slaves because they were captured in war. Um, in most cases, if they were not put to slavery, they were put to death. Okay, There were people that were slaves because they had broken the law. They had done some terrible things, and they didn't have jails to throw them in, so they were enslaved to pay the price for what they had done. Okay, And there's different rules and regulations about that kind of stuff, too, and we don't have time to dig a to that. Other than to say that most of the slaves were because of, of the voluntary sort. Okay. Now we get to the New Testament. And the Roman Empire, the slavery was a little bit different, but similar. Again, there were people that were slaves because they had been captured in war. We're talking about the Roman Empire. It's estimated that the Roman Empire had 60 million slaves living. They had more slaves than they had free people. That's why they were all, if you study history, especially Roman history, they were always afraid of a slave revolt. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, so things are a little bit different. But even then, um, uh, a lot of the slavery was for the same purpose. People got themselves into trouble, so they would attach themselves to somebody who was wealthy. They'd put them to work. That's why when I preach, and, and most people I know, preach from Ephesians and Colossians where it says, you know, masters be good to your slaves. Slaves work hard for your masters because you're not just working for your masters, you're working for God, that I apply it to employment because the principles are the same. You know that the employers, like the master, or the the employees are like the slaves, and sometimes we even feel that way <laughs> today. But anyway, um, but the principles are exactly the same. Okay, so in the Roman Empire, it was, it was very similar to that too. Okay, what's really interesting is in the Roman Empire. I don't know if it's true in the Old Testament, but in the Roman Empire, sometimes the, a lot of times the masters would pay for their slaves to get an education. Most of the doctors of that day were slaves. You know, the people that were rich enough to have slaves, they didn't want to go through all that education and learn all that stuff, you know, and all kinds of other trades. They would have their slaves trained, you know, that kind of thing. So, but when we get to the New the New Testament, we get to the church, we get to Jesus. Why didn't Jesus, because I mean, even in that situation, slavery is not the best situation, okay? I mean... As we've talked about, it can help make a bad situation better, but it's not the best situation. And obviously, there was in the Roman Empire and later in history and other places around the world, including our own nation, slavery was terrible. So why didn't Jesus or the early church speak strongly against slavery? Any thoughts before I give you my perspective on this? Lynn. Yeah, slavery is definitely a result of sin. And you brought up a really important point that's not in the notes, but it could be a whole other lesson, is that the slavery we see in culture and the slavery we see in Scripture and all that kind of stuff is a great picture of the slavery we experience in sin and the fact that Jesus paid the price to set us free. Yeah. Chris, you going to say something? Yeah, and that's the key. You just said the key. Jesus saw all kinds of oppression and all kinds of stuff. He did speak about setting people free, but he's talking about spiritually. He didn't speak against the Roman Empire and the way they had oppressed people. There's some other things that were going on in their culture that we don't see Jesus talking about or against or Paul. You know, we talk about the issue of abortion today. They had something very similar in their culture, especially among the Romans. If you had a baby you didn't want, um, you would either kill it or have it killed or you would just, there was a place where you could go leave your baby out on the rocks and just let it die. It's called exposure. It was it was normal. It was nobody thought anything about that. I'm not talking about God's people, but I'm talking about in their culture. You know, if you had a handicapped child, if you had a, a child you didn't want, you had too many girls, you you wanted boys, whatever, you know, you could just Leave it out there. And and of course there are a lot of people with good hearts and stuff that would take them in and try to find a home for them. Of course, there are a lot of people with bad hearts that would steal those babies, raise them so they could be prostitutes and they could make money off of them. But I'm just saying, but you don't hear Jesus talking about that, because of course that wasn't practiced in Israel uh, for the most part. But you don't hear Paul talking about that in his teachings. Um, you see some, you know, some other things too, um uh the violent games in the Colosseum. Paul never talks about them. So why is that? And here's the reason why, okay? I like this quote. It's from an online thing. It's uh, called Cold Case Christianity. Anyway, it's a really neat place. It says, the Roman Empire had 60 million slaves living amongst its citizenry. To call for an end of slavery in this culture and context would have resulted in mass murder and civil war. In this context, the message of the gospel for each individual would have been completely lost, the church would have been a group of rebels seeking political change rather than the bride of Christ introducing the gospel of grace to a lost world. What Chris said a moment ago is the key there. He said Jesus was about sharing the gospel. Peter, Paul, they were about sharing the gospel. If they had gotten all caught up and we got to oppose slavery, we've got to oppose the games in the Colosseum, we've got to oppose the exposing of infants. Christianity, I mean, there was enough coming against Christianity anyway, but Christianity would have been shut down, okay? And, I mean, nobody can shut God down, but I'm just saying that that's why most people believe that God was like, okay, you guys preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Uh, As as people's hearts and lives are changed by Jesus Christ, the influence of those lives lead to changed families, changed clans, and changed cultures. So the idea was to change from within. You change people. You can force people to live by certain laws and not do and do and stuff, but if it doesn't change on the inside, it doesn't mean make a permanent change. But you change people's hearts, then the change that comes out of it becomes permanent. And that's really how slavery was abolished, first of all, in England and then in the United States. It was people who were believers If you study the history at all, what was the name? Was it Wilberforce or whoever it was in England? Yeah. I mean, he fought. I think he fought for like 30, 40 years before they finally, you know, I'm sure he felt like giving up a lot. But he fought for like 30, 40 years in the government of Britain. And finally, they shut down slavery. And then something similar happened in the United States because of believers who had these convictions. And they they stood up and they lived out what they believed, okay? All right, Vida. Yes, I remember I read that same newsletter. Yeah, we got a newsletter from one of our missionaries over in the Israel area, okay? And he had shared some words from a fellow missionary that said it's so easy to take sides in what's currently going on over there. And there is right and there is wrong, not denying that. But to remember that God loves all the people involved and there's a lot of innocent people on both sides and that... We shouldn't be as quick to take up sides as we are to love and pray for everybody involved in the situation. That's a halfway summary of what he said. So, anyway, so I like what Warren Wiersbe, great Bible scholar, said. This he says the Lord chooses to change people in society gradually through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the truth of God. Now, that being the case, does this mean that Christians today shouldn't actively stand against evil and injustice? No, but we need to be careful that we don't get so wound up and excited about we got to take a stand for this, that we don't share the gospel. The gospel is the priority because it's only the gospel that can save. And as we just said, it's only the gospel that can really change people's hearts that will lead to real change, permanent change. Okay. All right, the last uh, line on your note sheet there, and you're just going to have to read Philemon yourself, but God's heart for personal freedom is expressed in the story of Philemon. Again, it's just a one chapter, one of the shortest chapters, uh, letter in the New Testament. Paul wrote to this guy who's a friend of his named Philemon. Philemon had a slave named Onesimus, which means useful. Onesimus ran away. And there seems to be some indication that he may have stolen some things or done something wrong. It uh, doesn't say that for sure, but when Paul writes him back and says, by the way, if you're still upset with Onesimus because of what he did, um, just take it out of my account, and you know you owe me. <laughs> Paul uses a little bit of... Uh, emotional pressure there saying you know you owe me a lot because of what I've done in your life well if Onesimus owes you something or you're whatever just take it from my account okay but Paul basically says you know you had Onesimus ran away from you and uh, he's become a brother in the Lord and now I'm sending him back and Onesimus came back willingly back to his master to turn himself in and Paul says listen I want you to accept him back not just as your slave but as a brother." In fact, Philemon one, fifteen to sixteen says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so here you have the you know such great just one little chapter. Forgiveness, the value of freedom, you know, the value of having relationship with each other and not I'm better than you are or whatever. You know, it's often been asked. Or it has been asked. Well, I wonder if Philemon set Onesimus free. My opinion is that he did, because if he didn't, he wouldn't have never let this letter get out. <laughs> you know, when he got this letter, it's like, uh, "No, I'm not doing that." But it's part of the New Testament, so I have a feeling he did. So, as we wrap this all up, how do we apply a lesson like this? Well, first of all, it's important that we study this because it gives us clarity on God's position on slavery and other issues. Because we have the world coming against us to say, well, what kind of God do you serve if he agrees with slavery? Well, no, he doesn't agree with slavery. You know, this is the situation. It also helps us to have a better understanding so we can defend our faith. If someone says that, say, well, no, 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 let me explain that to you. You know, this is what that was like, you know. Um, but I think it can be a challenge for us to make sure that we are more passionate about and more focused on sharing the gospel than we are about the cultural issues of the day. Now, please, be passionate about the cultural issues of the day. Be passionate about injustice. Be passionate about any place you see people being taken advantage of. Be passionate about any place you see people being mistreated. Be passionate about racial inequality. Be passionate about the issue of abortion. Be passionate about all these things. But be more passionate about the gospel. Be more passionate about the gospel. And... To whatever degree God leads you and you're able to, fight against modern-day slavery. Because slavery is real and active in the United States. You know, we don't think of it. We don't see it, although it's a whole lot more out there now than it used to be because it's coming to light and more people are making a big deal of it. But um, they say that America is the biggest market for sex slaves than any place else in the world. That's really sad. So pray against it. Fight against it to the degree you can. If you haven't seen um, the movie Sound of Freedom, it's a good movie to watch based on some true stories of people that are getting people out of sex slavery and, and sex trafficking and things like that. But become knowledgeable so you can pray better and, and maybe do something about it too. Right? right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had together tonight to deal with this tough situation of slavery. And... Um, Lord, it would be so easy to think, well, that was from so long ago, or it's from someplace else, but, Lord, it's around us. We don't realize it. God, we pray for you to work in our world, Lord God. We know that uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen before you make everything right. But, God, we do pray against injustice. We do pray against slavery. We do pray against people that are forced to do things against their will. We pray against inequality, racial inequality, any other kind of inequality. We pray against oppression. And God, to whatever degree we can make a difference, help us to make a difference. But Father, I pray you'd give each of us a greater passion to share the only real solution to all these things, and that's Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray, dear God, that you would work in the lives of people who are actively involved in these things. God, if you could change Saul, you can change anybody. Change, Lord God, the people who are involved in sex trafficking. Change those who are involved in oppression. Change people's hearts, Lord God. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message Revival Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.